As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello, welcome back to this week's show, bringing you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis as mediated by one of his key biographers, Oxford Professor of Science and Religion, Alistair McGrath. His own conversion and academic career has a lot in common with Lewis. I'm Justin Briley. I'm hosting this season of the podcast. I'm also a huge fan of Lewis. Today, looking again at one of Lewis's shorter works, First and Second Things. This was originally published in 1942 and argues that humans often turn second-order things, such as music, art, romantic love, etc., into first-order things in place of God. In doing so, they actually lose the joy of those things in the process. Uh, As Lewis puts it, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. Well, just before we leap into it, just a final shout out for our big conversation event coming up very soon with Michaela Peterson and John McRae, asking whether Gen Z and millennials are ready to believe in God again. I'll be hosting it live online this week on Tuesday, the 12th of July. I'd love you to be part of it. It's free to attend. You just need to register at unbelievable.live. I think it should be a fascinating time. We're going to be exploring Michaela's own recent journey towards Christianity. So the link for that is with today's show. For now, thanks for being with us and let's get going. Welcome back. We're talking about various of Lewis's essays, his talks, sermons, periodicals, and so on. Um, First and Second Things is the one we're going to focus on today. This is possibly one of the less well-known of Lewis's articles and uh, essays, Alistair. Do you want to tell us a bit about where this one came from? Yes, this is an essay that Lewis wrote in 1942. Now, one of the things that struck me a lot is a lot of Lewis's best pieces were written during the Second World War. Um, We've looked at some of them actually earlier in the series. This one here is no exception. And basically, it's almost as if Lewis went through a, a spurt of creativity or perhaps felt that the war had opened up new questions that needed to be answered. But certainly, there's a freshness about his writing throughout this period. And it was originally published as an article, and I've never been able to trace the original um, pamphlet, I think, in which it appears called Notes on the Way. Um, but anyway, it, it is a very interesting article. It's quite dense at points. But the really key thing that comes out of this is figuring out what it is that really matters and how you enable that to keep mattering. Mm. Um, there, there's lots of great quotes as ever um, in, in this. But um, I suppose the, the the first thing is is to define what he means by first things and second things what 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 does he kind of give as an analogies for 
for first things and second things in, in this article? Well, he gives lots of examples, a lot, of course, drawn from literature. But really what he's saying is that um, first things are the things that really matter and inspire us to do other things. Those are the second things. Um, for example, uh, your vision of God might cause you to write a wonderful book or a wonderful poem. And what Lewis is saying is that sometimes we, we find ourselves ending up focusing on the second things, the things that resulted from what really mattered, and for some reason, our interest or our attention focuses on the second thing, and we actually lose sight of the first thing. So, for example, um, you know, let's go back to uh, uh, Lewis's distinction between looking at and looking along. We can look at a poem and say, oh, an interesting poem. Look at the way it uses language. Isn't that interesting? Or look at the vocabulary. That's very interesting. Um, but the poem had been written to celebrate the beauty of nature, perhaps, or perhaps celebrate the joy of knowing God. And because you're focusing on the um, thing itself, you lose that connection. But if you look along it, you can reconnect with why it was written in the first place. And Lewis's point in this essay is that actually there's something about human beings that we seem to end up focusing on what Lewis calls second things. And as a result, losing sight of the first things, which are what really matters. Mm. Uh, uh, one of the early quotes is, um, he says, until quite modern times, I think until the time of the Romantics, nobody ever suggested that literature and the arts were an end in themselves. So Lewis is obviously concerned at this idea that, that we've come to the point where we we talk about things and analyze things, but we we don't we've forgotten just the pure joy of experiencing things for what they are. They were never really meant to be a subject of study. They were meant to simply do what they do, um, you know, that we enjoy that piece of art. We listen to that piece of music and so on. Absolutely. I mean, I often think here of, of Lewis's favorite poem. That was George Herbert. George Herbert wrote a poem uh, in which he says, a man who looks on glass and it may stay his eye, or if he pleases through it pass, and thus the heaven aspire. And, and you can see what Lewis is getting at, Herbert making the point that actually you can look at a window and say, oh, a nice window frame, oh, look, the glass is dirty. Or you can look through it and see a beautiful garden. And the point that Lewis is making is you become so preoccupied with the window, you don't see the garden, you know, and yet the window might be put there so you can see the garden. And Lewis is really saying that um, we need to um, realize that very often literature or art or music is written to celebrate something, something really wonderful. And instead of allowing the music or the art or literature to, in fact, help us to enjoy the beauty of nature or the wonder of God, we end up looking at it for its own sake. And mm. the result is we, we rather miss the point. We, we don't see what's point to us. It's like looking at a signpost, which is saying, um, you know, first aid this way when you're ill. Um, and saying, oh, one interesting signpost. You, know, you focus on the sign mm -hmm. and don't look at what it's pointing towards. So I think Lewis is making a very important point yeah. here. Uh, and let, let's look at some of the examples he gives again early, early on in the, the piece. He says, the longer I looked into it, the more I came to suspect that I was perceiving a universal law. The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses in the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. It's a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman. Glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her. 
but clear the decks and so arrange your life, it is sometimes feasible that you will have nothing to do but contemplate her. And what happens? Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice is made. So there's a sense that, yeah, he says, whenever we sort of focus on that thing and, and suddenly make that the idol, if you like, the God in our lives, in a sense, we suddenly actually lose the joy that it brought us in the first place. We've sort of lost the point if we make second things first things in that sense if we if we confuse with you know the, the what where they should sit in our in, in in kind of order of priority in our lives that's exactly right i think lewis is, is simply saying this seems to happen it seems to happen naturally and we need to be aware of this so we can easily find that something that was once a means to an end becomes an end in itself and and by doing that stops us seeing what was originally meant to show. Uh, I, I know people who've had that experience, you know, where basically they began thinking, oh, isn't nature beautiful? I'll read some poetry about nature to help me appreciate nature. And in the end, they became scholars of poetry and they became involved in the, the complexity of um, the, the publication of this poem or how they wrote it or its vocabulary and how this poem was based on an earlier poem by somebody else. And it's all very interesting, but kind of where the beauty of nature got lost because they had focused on the second thing and mm. lost the first thing. And, you know, I, if we think about church life, I think you can see how this happens very easily. Hymns, which are meant to become gateways to the glory of God, well, they become an end in themselves. We like this hymn rather than that hymn. You have, a, you have this perennial debate about what hymns do we have? Whereas what we really ought to be asking is how do we worship more effectively and catch a vision of God that's going to inspire us? So Lewis, I think, is just giving us a framework for naming something that we do all the time and which is impoverishing. We've got to find a way of correcting this. Mm. I, I certainly experienced that as someone who occasionally helps to lead the, the musical aspect of worship in our church. Um, and we play, you know, hymns and, you know, modern contemporary songs as well. And and there is that aspect that the, the, the great danger always when you're on that side of of it is that you inevitably end up focusing on the technical aspect of it. You know how, you know, the chords and the, you know, making sure it's delivered well, for, you know, for the purposes of bringing people into the presence of God through music. But you can lose the actual experience when you're in charge of doing that, when you have to sort of sit on that side of the fence and, and deliver something technically, it can actually mean that you end up not actually experiencing the thing itself. And that's why I would say every worship leader, you know, needs to, to be fed by other worship leaders as much as they deliver that. Cause it's not the same thing when you're, as it were, writing the poetry or delivering it as, as, as simply experiencing it for yourself. I think that's right. And I, I, I've often felt that those who write poetry or those who produce works of literature very often feel frustrated because the technicality of producing it distracts them from what it's all about. And I think, you know, Lewis himself, um, uh, think of his apologist prayer, you know, he very often felt completely inadequate and drained by and trying to be an apologist because the technicalities of it actually overwhelmed him. You know, he loved God. But he very often 
found writing about God or trying to defend God um, showing up as inadequacies in this field. So, you know, he says, you know, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. In other words, the key to inspiration in the Christian life is always going to be focusing on God and allowing that to inspire you rather than saying, I'm going to focus on this hymn or this mm. uh, this this particular book I've been asked to read or something like that. It, it is a helpful it sets us kind of helpful context for these things. One way in which he sort of helpfully encapsulates this in the essays when he says, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. Um, so, and I suppose that's got a sort of uh, an analogy in, you know, when Jesus says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. There's a sense in which, no, put God first the other stuff will follow because that's then you've got your priorities right. If you try and look for the other stuff first, you'll lose it. Actually, you'll, it'll never come in that way. Well, I, I do think that's right, and I, I think that it, it's helpful to be reminded of this. That actually, if you are a, um, a hymn writer, if you are writing books about God, that actually focusing on the task, you know, is, is one thing. Maybe you need to focus on the inspiration for the task to actually um, do it. In other words, to do a second thing, you need to focus on the first thing, which gives you the right orientation, the motivation, and indeed the inspiration for doing it. What what might be some examples of this in our culture? I suppose I'm I'm thinking possibly of of those areas where, for instance, in politics, where people politics becomes in itself a sort of a, a pursuit, as it were. And and I think that's the danger is when when people have perhaps come out of other professions and entered politics because they've sort of seen a bigger picture, a vision of what life can be like, and they and then they want to use you know the political tools and structures as a way of enabling that that's rather different to someone who sort of goes into politics because they love politics because they love you know the institution and the you know it's it's almost as though that might be one example i can think of where there's that danger of putting second things first when actually you know politics is only a means to an end um uh, it's it shouldn't be the end in itself as it were I think that's right. But another example might be, um, you know, pastors and ministers and churches who very often are drawn to ministry because of their vision of God. And they want to enact this and do useful things. But then they find that the actual institution of churches overwhelms them. They have to kind of way learn its culture. They have to figure out what its politics are. And that actually very often becomes a distraction or a barrier between themselves and what they originally joined the church to do because it, it's the vision of God and that kind of way very often gets swamped by the detail of being a church minister so I think Lewis is really naming a problem first things second things and saying here's how it arises and also just saying to us here is what you can do perhaps to correct this I'm, I'm trying to think and I'm just looking it up um uh there, there's that 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 and it might even be in the weight of glory. I can't remember, but there, there's a quote by Lewis, isn't there, about how if we aim um, if we aim just for earth, we won't get it. But if we aim for heaven, we will receive it and have earth thrown in. There's there's something about that 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 seems to, to be being said in this this idea of first and second things. If we if we aim for for God, then you know we get everything. If we aim for the substitute for God, the the, the sort of the, 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 the secondary thing that maybe you know is the effect of following god 
then actually we, we lose it all. We don't, we don't get anything at all. Yes, that's from Weight of Glory. And I think one of the things that I've noticed is that in many of these essays written during the early 1940s, there are a lot of interconnected themes where actually Lewis might address in one way uh, this topic in this essay, in another way that, like this, but actually they're all interconnected. And I think it's very important just to, to say that Lewis here is really putting his finger on something that's part of his bigger picture. But I think it's a very important point for anybody who's thinking about by getting their priorities right. Mm. I mean, in Lewis's own life, I can imagine this would have had application, this idea of first and second things, because he was obviously a fine scholar of literature, medieval period, obviously, that was his life's work. Um, and yet, you know, I think he always wanted to make sure he really actually connected just with the joy of experiencing literature. He never wanted the, the academic technical side of it to become the primary thing and take the take the place actually of, of what was should have been a secondary thing. I think that's a very perceptive comment because I was just saying how I, I've noticed how some of the early 1940s essays are so good. But after the Second World War in the late 1940s, Lewis, I think, lost his, his inspiration. He kind of mm. way was struggling a bit and felt he had to write some big books to, to satisfy his academic colleagues. And actually, he was a bit miserable. But in the mm. early 40s, you have a sense that I'm doing this because it's wonderful. It's enjoyable. It needs to be done, but I'm enjoying doing it. And maybe maybe that's important for anybody who's a writer or a composer or indeed even a preacher. Actually, you know, the, when done rightly, the job brings joy, you know, because you haven't lost sight of the first thing. You're very much aware of that. Mm. And that enables you to actually do the second thing. Mm, absolutely. It's, I think that's the great danger is ministry burnout is, is, mm. a, is an experience that I know so many people have had. And, and so often I think it is because we we are feeding constantly but not necessarily being fed in ministry and and it's only once we we come to the source that we have the energy and you know to be able to give out and so on and 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 that may mean that you you have to you know not do as much it may mean that you know you have to change your life to allow god to speak and for us to to, to you know put god first but ultimately it can obviously uh, you know it, it can re result in much more fruit in the long run because it, it enables us to live the kind of life that that puts God first and allows those other things to be in their proper place and not, not become primary. But uh, so much we could continue to talk about. I think, think we'll draw it to a close there though, Alistair. Um, very interesting. First and second things is the title of the essay we've been talking about from CS Lewis on today's show. You can go and find it. Um, it's available in various places and including some of the published works of Lewis, but um, we are going to be moving on to what is probably the crown jewel in Lewis's works next week, the weight of glory. Um, that'll give us plenty of food for thought. So come back again for that. But for now, thanks for being with us today, Alistair. Wonderful. Thank you. Look forward to talking about the weight of glory. Thanks for being with us on the show today. Uh, this show, of course, is part of Premier Unbelievable. And just a final reminder as we close out that our big conversation event is this Tuesday, the 12th of July, Michaela Peterson and John McRae on whether Gen Z and millennials are ready to believe in God again. They've both got large, young audiences. You'll hear their faith journeys, can ask your questions too. It's free to attend. You just need to register at unbelievable.live. The links with today's show. For now, go well and see you next time.